0: This show is brought to you by Boise State Public Radio in Idaho, along with the Mountain West News Bureau, a public media collaboration. Okay, we're back in the Red Desert outside of Rollins, Wyoming for our final episode. I've driven thousands of miles to get to this moment. Talked to so many people with so many different takes on these weird, wonderful birds, but I've never been this close before. I'm hunkered down in a blind in the freezing cold. There are coyotes singing in the distance, and all around me, finally, are sage-grouse. Dozens of them, the males all puffed up and fighting one another, their exquisite feathers fanned out like spikes behind them, the females cruising along for mates. I've got my microphone sticking out from under the blind, and the birds are strutting by in full display, just inches away from it, totally oblivious.
1: Wild world right now. And my heart is so full.
0: I'm Ashley Ahern, and this is Grouse, a show about the most controversial bird in the West and what it's taught me about hope, compromise, and life in rural America. When I worked at the NPR member station in Seattle, I'd get asked to do a lot of public speaking events for all different kinds of local groups. And I'd talk about the various stories I was covering or give a rundown on climate policy or the latest on the struggling orcas of Puget Sound, that sort of thing. And inevitably, at the end of every probably depressing talk, someone in the audience would ask, where do you find hope these days? That's the hardest question. I'd usually respond by talking about young people getting engaged and active, or I'd look ahead to the next election. But the truth is... I don't have much use for the word hope. It feels hollow to me right now. The word I choose is courage. Courage to fight the numbness, to keep caring even if it makes us vulnerable to more heartbreak. And when I think about courage, I can't help but think about Michael Schroeder. He's the biologist you heard from in episode two who took me out to see my very first sage grouse last winter.
1: There we go, oh. <gasps> it's sage grouse. Oh my God.
2: Well, there you go. You can fly it over the horizon, and it's alone.
0: huh? There are fewer than a 1,000 sage grouse left in Washington, and this man goes out and counts them year after year. And he's been doing that for decades, even as the numbers continue to decline.
2: Probably That's probably the most apprehensive time of year for me because I... Every year I go into the spring and think, is this then going to be the year the population has collapsed? And so I'm always completely insecure about it and thinking, oh my gosh, is this going to be the year? Is this going to be the year? So, yeah.
0: Can I come out with you in the spring? Sure, sure, yeah. So it's January now.
2: That's well, a, yeah, so I'll see you in January. It's uh, yeah, middle, middle-ish of January. So
0: in early March this year, I met up with Michael Schroeder again to count sage grouse. And maybe somewhat morbidly, to see if this was gonna be the year the population actually tanked.
2: Bring more stuff because I'm actually, we're actually uh, living high today. I brought two small chairs, <laughs> bought a tripod, I brought a spotting scope. Um, let's find a place where we can cross this fence. Okay.
0: It was a very mild winter in this part of central Washington. Not much snow accumulation. Which is a bad thing for a lot of reasons. But for counting sage grouse, it's great. Michael was able to get out earlier in the season to check all the leks he monitors and do repeat counts to get more reliable estimates of the population. And without all the snow accumulation, he and his team were able to go looking for leks and actually found three new ones. He took me to one of the largest leks he monitors.
2: So this. Yeah, let's see. We call this the Mary Jane Hill Leck. Okay. Uh, Okay, so you see this hill? Yeah. That's where we're going. Okay. We'll be able to look down on them from there.
0: As we walk up the hill to get a view of the mating area, there's this spring in Michael's step. Just this coiled, tense, kind of little boy excited energy.
2: Well, this time of year, I can't sleep. (laughs) I mean, seriously, I haven't woken up to an alarm in... uh, probably, I don't know, maybe spend months. It doesn't matter if I get up at four, five, three o'clock in the morning, it doesn't matter. I wake up before the alarm goes off. Yeah. It's just, this time of year, it's just hard to stay in bed.
0: <laughs> what, what is it though that makes you so excited?
2: Uh, I don't, it's just, it's such a, uh, it's like a, a ritual of, of spring that is so representative of so much more than just grouse. It's like this is like this uh, this annual renewal that you see that all of a sudden the birds are back to doing what they normally do. And no matter how old I get, uh, it's still spring every year and the birds still have are still so hardwired to do the same thing. And it's kind of like me, you know, you're just hardwired to do that same thing every spring. And you just can't help it.:
0: We climb to the top of the little hill, and even in the gray, pre-dawn light, you can feel the vast expanse
2: stretching for
0: miles around us, these gently textured hillsides of sagebrush.: So they're, they're straight out that way. Or are you seeing them over there?:
2: Kind of Yeah, they're scattered, they're scattered quite a bit. But, uh...
0: The birds are several hundred yards away and hard to hear. Michael sets up his tripod with his spotting scope and points it towards an open patch in the sagebrush where the birds are gathering.
2: trying to find a male that you can see here.
0: Oh yeah, I can totally see one and maybe another one off to the right, two of them.
2: There's a bunch out there.
0: Wow. Got his, I can see his big white air sacs all puffed up.
2: So these males are all spaced spaced out, when they have their display they they kind of uh, rotate around in circles so they'll do their display and then they kind of move around and face a different direction then they do their display again then they move around and display in a different direction and it takes them, I'm thinking it takes them about five times to do a full circle.
0: Yeah I can see them turning. (laughs) You can only tell because the white breasts disappear for a minute and then they, they appear again. These things are fancy. They're
2: definitely fancy. I'm just gonna really quick count here. Wow. We're in the upper twenties. Really? Yep. So I'm gonna do it one more one more sweep back to Too.
0: That's just a few more birds than he counted here last year. And similar to what he's seeing at other leks that he monitors. It's not a significant increase, but it's enough to keep Michael, and the sage-grouse population here, going.
2: It was just sort of a relief to me that, okay, we've avoided the collapse for another year. Let's see let's see if we can avoid it for another year, and another year, and another year. And I don't know. I, I. I'd like to think that the birds are still going to be here as long as I'm alive. I'm hoping that means I'm going to live a while. (laughs) If that doesn't mean my life's almost over, then, uh, but it's, uh, you know, so far, so good.
0: But if we're being honest, this population is basically on life support. It's just hanging on, not really recovering or increasing in any biologically significant way. I wanted to know how Michael keeps hanging on year after year. And maybe I was looking for some wisdom or inspiration myself about how to keep caring when things seem hopeless. Do you... When you really care about something, though, it's it's scary. It's easier to be numb. Uh, like, if you, if you fall... It's like falling in love, right? If you really fall in love, that's, that's scary as shit.
2: Uh... Well, you're asking me about love, and I'm supposed to answer this on tape. Yeah, you are. Because
0: <laughs> you're vulnerable. I think that's where, when I th- when I think about why some people don't care, and you may never get to reach them, I think it's because it involves extending yourself.
2: <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, it sometimes it's easier not to care. Ignorance is bliss. You know, if you're not thinking about sage you don't have to worry about sage grouse, and you won't be disappointed. Um, yeah. So I guess it is kind of like falling in love. Uh Yeah, I have to think about that one. (laughs) Maybe at 3 a.m. tomorrow when
0: you're up again doing this? Yeah.
2: (laughs) It's it's better to to not care. That way you don't have to worry about being hurt.
0: (sighs) I mean, I think that's how I survived covering the environment for so long. (laughs) It was like if I could keep it at arm's length, then it wouldn't destroy me (laughs) on some
2: level. Yeah, yeah. That's a really interesting point. Oh, let me think about that one.
0: We walk down the hill as the rising sun turns the landscape from cool gray-blue to soft, sagey greens and browns.
2: Dropping. Oh, cool.
0: I can tell Michael's mulling things over as he walks along.
2: I mean, mean, anybody who's watched, I was thinking about the whole rom-com thing, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And and that that whole topic comes up so much, you know, (laughs) is it better to... To risk, risk uh, being, you know, hurt in a broken love, love affair, than to, than to not, not fall in love at all. And of course, the theme is always that no, it's better to take the risk. I think the same thing, thing has got to be true with a, uh, with sage grouse or any other uh, wildlife or part of our natural environment. Because, I mean, the reality is, this is an important part of what makes us. Human and what makes our world such a wonderful place to live in. I mean, to, to, give, up, to give up on uh, a part of our environment uh, so easily without attempting to do our best to, to save it, uh, I don't know. That would, that would make us uh, failures, I think, as uh, humans. Just by nature, the fact that we hold this position in the food chain we're somewhat the caretakers in the sense that we have such a big role to play in whether we're going to destroy it or protect it. Mm. So we have a responsibility to do something about it. If we choose not to, that says a lot about us. <laughs>
0: That was supposed to be the end of the show. I was going to sign off. Thank you all for listening. But then, as I was writing the final episode over Labor Day weekend, more than a dozen mostly human-caused fires broke out across Washington state. Large stretches of Oregon and California were also burning, and the whole region was shrouded in smoke. Two of the biggest fires in this part of the world, the Cold Springs and Pearl Hill fires, had converged around Michael's community. So I contacted him with dread right after the weekend, jumped in my truck, and headed to his place. Hundreds of thousands of acres are burning right now and have been since the holiday weekend, and the sky is the color of a used cigarette filter. And I'm going to meet up with Michael Schroeder, who lives in Bridgeport, Washington, where uh, at least 12 homes have been destroyed by fire. There are about, well, fewer than a 1,000 sage left in Washington state, and um, the kind of epicenter cluster of them is in an area that looks to be in wildfire danger right now. I drove through town after the fire had moved on, leaving several scorched houses in its path. Michael's house, luckily, was not one of them. When I arrived, he and his wife Leslie hadn't had power or water for a few days. They were running around trying to get a generator set up.
1: <laughs> "She's busy. It's okay. I'm sorry to crash." "So the water, like the water's on?" They're filling the tank, but they don't want to tell me when because they don't want everybody just watering their yard.
0: I went inside to get out of their way and stood around in their living room with their dog sniffing me, looking at their art while I waited for Michael.
1: "Hi. Yeah, it's okay." Hi.
0: The Schroeder's walls and shelves are lined with sculptures, antique prints, and painted porcelain plates of, you guessed it, grouse. All different kinds of grouse. Michael came back into the living room a few minutes later. I'm admiring all of your grouse um, oh. stuff. <laughs> you're with me. Yeah, you're consistent. <laughs> <laughs> What's your pup's name?
1: Uh, lek.
0: Lek. <laughs> Are you serious? Just in case you had any doubts as to this man's dedication to the birds. And, interesting side note, lek is a Swedish word meaning play.
1: I don't know why I that actually.
0: Michael grabs his backpack and camera, and we get in my truck and head out of
1: town. Up to you. Uh, okay,
2: and let's see.
0: As we're driving, it's just blackened earth all around us. Power poles still smoking, twisted guardrails, melted Salvador Dali-esque metal roofs, scorched sagebrush skeletons. And my
2: heart is sinking more with each mile. And of course you're driving through it. I've been driving around for the last 24 hours checking out some of the damage, and uh, it's just, it's just devastating. Washington State, uh, from a from a personal perspective and from a grouse perspective has been devastated. This has been, this has been a fire for the, the century. And I don't
0: Basically, the from the, the minute we get in the truck, Michael is talking rapidly, last... telling me about what he's been seeing over the past few days as he's been driving around. He described multi-generational farmhouses and ranches that are just torched. Yesterday, he saw burned mule deer looking for food, and visited a site where biologists had been breeding endangered pygmy rabbits. The rabbits were scorched to death in their enclosures. We pull onto a dirt road. It doesn't look familiar. There are no landmarks, just black dirt.
2: So we're actually going up uh, Mary Jane Hill here. This area, I think you and I went here earlier this spring. I
0: don't recognize where Uh, we are, even though I was here maybe six
2: months ago with him, counting birds. Oh,
1: well we went up on that, yeah maybe.
2: We went up on a hilltop? Yeah. That's it.
1: Yeah, okay. Oh god, it looks so different, Michael, I do not oh, recognize it. No, him. no,
2: that's it.
0: We get out of the truck and walk along a blackened fence line toward that same small hill we climbed up in the spring to watch sage grouse on the leck. Yeah, I do, I remember. You set up your tripod right here. Yeah, I did. So we were looking right down, it was right over there that you had your yeah. thing trained on.
2: The, uh, the birds like to... Display out there past that rock.
0: We mm-hmm. can see it. We pause and just stand there. And the scope of the fire starts to hit me. We can see for miles. This is big, open country, and the horizon line is so far away. And it's all black, smooth earth. It's hard to describe how that feels to go back to a place you knew and find it unrecognizable.
2: The fire goes north of here all the way into Okanagan County and, uh, and then south, 20 miles. So it, I think I would feel a little bit more optimistic about the birds from this particular area if they weren't surrounded by nothing. But this was the largest lek in the county and uh, it's right in the middle of Oblivion, or Mordor as somebody referred to it from the uh, Lord of the Rings.
0: <laughs> Michael estimates this fire may have wiped out half of the remaining sage
2: grouse in Washington state.
0: Fire is a part of this landscape,
2: he told me. But, but the reality is this country is not used to fires of this scale, and these birds who are restricted to fairly isolated populations are not able to deal with fires of this scale because the scale is so large, they don't have any other options. They don't have any other places to go. There's no recruits uh, to this population from adjacent populations because there aren't any adjacent populations.
0: How do you, um, just in seeing you, Mike, you're like a wall of words, like you're just you're you're filling me with so much information. And I is that a coping mechanism like that you are going to take refuge in the data and the science right now when like I don't know about you, but my heart is hurting.
2: Yeah. the uh, And I know what you mean, because I the, the people that we've been communicating with, there's a lot of. You know people put emojis sometimes on their text messages and on their emails and and there will be teardrops on faces and stuff there's a lot of people hurting people who don't live out here but who know how much is invested uh, emotionally financially other ways in seeing the wildlife in this region thrive so there's a lot of people really hurting and in a sense you know that shared that shared misery kind of helps, helps you a little bit and realize you're not in it alone. There's a lot of people who care. Um, a lot of people who care.
0: Yeah. Michael's eyes are red and watering. I don't think it's from the smoke. I cried in the drive down today. I can't like looking at this stuff.
2: Yep. If it was just this, but it isn't just this. It's like, you go over to that hill and it looks the same. You go over there, it looks the same.
0: His voice breaks and trails off as he turns and gestures around us in every direction.
2: There's no way.
0: Michael Schroeder and I stood on that blackened hillside for a while together, just looking around us and talking about the bird the way you might talk about a loved one who's terminally ill. Michael's old enough to retire, and he's been joking about it since I met him. But he told me he's not going to retire right now, even though this could be the actual collapse of the sage-grouse population in Washington State that he's been worried about for so long. He said he doesn't want to go out on a down note. That to me is courage. It's the courage to keep doing our small part, whatever that may be, even if we know our individual actions may not solve the bigger problem. The courage to keep loving the hell out of something, even if we know we may not be able to save it. I would be lying if I told you, after all the reporting I've done, that we are going to save this bird but I can tell you about a lot of amazing people who are doing their best from their perspective with what they have each day. Whether it's ranchers, oil and gas workers, scientists, wildlife managers, policymakers, or environmentalists. I think they all love this bird in their own way, but may not agree on what needs to be done to keep it around. When I came home from that reporting trip with Michael, I crawled into bed in the fetal position and sobbed. Just let it all out, let it wash over me and out of me like wildfire smoke blowing out of the valley where I live. I can't remember the last time I cried over a story I'd reported. Maybe never. I'd always taken refuge in the facts and the figures and the deadlines, and held on to my numbness to protect myself. It was easier that way, safer. But I would rather be heartbroken and raw than safe and numb. So when I look at what's ahead for me, in my little cabin in the sagebrush surrounded by rattlesnakes and horses, I know that I need to keep telling these kinds of stories and feeling the weight of them, even if I don't know that my journalism will solve any of these bigger problems or save sage-grouse. It takes courage to face the grief and hopelessness that might surround us, and keep looking to one another, and maybe to these weird, wonderful birds. To find ways to keep fighting, and loving, and dancing. I'm Ashley Ahern. Thanks so much for listening. This show was edited by Whitney Henry Lester. Sound design is by Liza Yeager. Our artwork is by Kima Lennigan. Thank you to the Willow Grove Foundation, the Society of Environmental Journalists, and the Institutes for Journalism and Natural Resources for their support. This show is brought to you by Boise State Public Radio and the Mountain West News Bureau, with support from Lori and Paul Ahern. No relationship to me. Special thanks to Tom Michael, Kate Concannon, and Lacey Daly. Grouse was produced in partnership with Bird Note. This series was made possible with support from Jim and Birta Faulkner of Seattle. And a special thank you to my husband, Michael, who has always been my first editor sounding board and has listened to this story from its garbled, fumbling beginnings to the show you just finished listening to.